Andrew's obviously not here today. Uh, he is quite busy. Uh, his daughter's getting married so this afternoon, so um, uh, he is there. And uh, just a quick personal note, thank you. Uh, my, our daughter got married uh, three weeks ago, and, um, you know, we can't, with COVID and everything, we couldn't invite the whole church. It was like what we'd like to do. I'm sure Andrew and Michelle would too, but we appreciate all the support that you guys have given us, um, uh, not just this year, but over the years. It's been awesome. So I'm going to pick up where Andrew left off. We're in the book of Acts, and our sermon series is about being sent, being sent. And last week, Andrew told the story of a lame beggar who was miraculously healed by the apostles, Peter and John. And the religious leaders are so frustrated, they were so frustrated with the fact that they did this in the name of Jesus, that they arrest Peter and John, they put them in jail. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that we have, to, we have to remind ourselves when we read the book of Acts, okay, is that all this takes place at the dawn of a new age. This is the church age. This is the, the outpouring of God's Spirit in a very special way to start uh, this really, in a lot of ways, miraculous and dramatic change and the gospel going to all the nations. Jesus has um, risen. Uh, he accomplished, well, I'll start back. Jesus had accomplished his mission by being God incarnate, living a perfect life a holy life. He died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God for our sins, to atone for our sins. He was then raised from the dead, seen by over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses, ascends into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God to continually oversee his kingdom advance on the earth until he returns. But before Jesus ascended into heaven, that time where he had been raised from the dead, but before he ascended into heaven, he left clear instructions to his followers that they were being sent by the power of his Holy Spirit to make disciples of all the nations. And so the passage we're going to read today follows the release of Peter and, Jan, uh, Peter and John from jail and what they immediately chose to do upon being released from jail. So, uh, again, if you were here last week or you read through uh, the first part of Acts chapter 4, you'd hear the clear instructions of the religious leaders upon releasing Peter and John. And they explicitly said, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is their explicit instructions to Peter and John. Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, let's read what they did next. This is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens... And the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles 
and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand had, and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we read these stories in the Bible, and they are crazy. The things that, that you do, the miraculous things that you do, that you've planned before time began. The courage and the boldness that you give your people to go forth to make the name of Jesus famous. Lord, may we learn this morning from this passage what it means to come and rely upon you through the power of prayer. And we do pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, obviously, things were really heating up for the apostles and for these Christians, for the disciples that were with them. Their message of faith in the risen Christ was not well received by the religious leaders. And they immediately faced persecution. But, you know the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get... Yeah, that's the old saying. The new saying is when the going gets tough, the tough get praying. Okay, so that's your new saying. When the going gets tough, the tough get praying. Praying. And that is the very first thing the disciples do once they're released. They pray. Now, we may think, you know, as we read through the book of Acts, the disciples were tough, you know, resilient. And, and, and maybe they were, right? But I would imagine that at certain times they had to be scared as well. I mean, if they thought that the religious if they knew that the religious leaders could kill Jesus, then they must have thought that there's no reason that they wouldn't have them killed as well. I mean, this literally is a life or death situation. So they knew they needed to rely on God to give them what they needed on their mission, on their sent mission. So I want to take a look at their prayer and then briefly at the fruit of their prayer. I think it's very important. So, out of the ordinary, I only have one point today. That's crazy, right? Relying on God means praying. Relying on God means praying. Now, I don't think my sermon's going to be any shorter, by the way, but it might be. We'll see. Um, So, relying on God means praying. So, let's take a look at their prayer. And... um, I'm going to throw James a curveball. Just put up Acts 23. Uh, go to the, to the verse uh, about Sovereign Lord, to, to the prayer that they were using. So they start with this. They say, Sovereign Lord. Okay? And I think that's really important. 
They start with those two words. So far, they had seen the hand of God as the supreme power overseeing all that had happened and all that would happen. This is their confession. These two words, this opening of their prayer, this is their confession that they believe God is in absolute control of all that happens and that they were going to worship Him as Lord. Okay? So I think it's important to note that this, the disciples' acknowledgement and belief in the sovereignty of God because it shapes their worldview and understanding of the events of redemptive history. You see, everybody in this room and everybody in the world really has to have a... They ha, you have a worldview. Whether you know it or not, you have a worldview, okay? And uh, a worldview a worldview that shaped it is going gonna, is gonna to answer these three questions, okay? Where do we come from? What's wrong with the world? And how do we fix it? So the way you answer those three questions is going to shape how you view the world around you, your worldview, if you will. So um, the majority of our culture, I know not everybody, but the majority of our culture answers these questions this way. Where do we come from? We came from an evolutionary process. What's wrong with the world? Well, we just don't understand each other. And if we understood each other, then uh, we would be able to reconcile with each other better. And how do we fix it? Well, we just need to be more understanding uh, and more educated about our world and one another. That's sort of the general consensus. But this prayer in Acts answers these questions differently. Because it gives us a biblical worldview. So let's read this part again. This prayer again. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So we'll stop there. Okay? Explicitly, they pray... And answer this question, where did we come from? We came from God, who made the heaven and the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He made you and he made me. He made all of creation. That's really important as that shapes our worldview to know without a doubt that we came from a loving, gracious, and merciful creator. But their prayer goes on, um, and, and they're quoting Psalm 2 here. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what's wrong with the world? How does this prayer, this prayer answer that question? Well, we've raged against God. We, we've raged against Jesus. He, <clears throat> we've rebelled 
against this holy God. That is what's wrong with the world. And it's thrown our world into utter chaos. You see, we weren't meant to live apart from God. And, and then when, so when we do live apart from God, when we try to live life our own way apart from God, it makes a complete mess of things. But their prayer goes on. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and, to, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. How do we fix the chaos? How do we fix the problem? We can't fix the problem. Jesus fixes the problem. That's a biblical worldview. Where did we come from? We came from a loving and merciful creator. What's wrong with the world? Sin. We've rebelled against God and ruined everything. How do we fix it? We can't. We need someone to come in and intervene on our behalf and reconcile us back to God. And that person is Jesus. He's the one that fixes it all. And that shapes everything for us. And this belief in the absolute control and power of God to oversee all that he created and all that happens is essential to our faith. For without faith in a loving and merciful God and a redeeming creator, we are left to our own devices to make sense out of this chaotic world. And it just doesn't work. I don't know about you, but being left to my own devices and my own capabilities is not a very comforting thought. I had one thing to do the other night. My wife gave me one task before she came home from work. Please, we have this new island in our kitchen. Okay? It was installed professionally. But they, they didn't put the, the hardware, the hin- not the hinges, the, the, the handles on the, on the drawers in the cabinet. I can do that. Easy peasy. I've got one job before she gets home. Just put the handles on the, on the cabinets. Okay, I got it. Come home. Start at 7 o'clock at night. 10.45. I'm still working on this thing. There's only three drawers. There's four drawers and one cabinet. That's like 45 minutes per thing. Like all you, Just drill the holes, two holes. Screw them in. Two more holes, screw it in. I'm not a carpenter, okay? I've never done that before. There's, you have to line them up perfectly. They can't be this. You know, she came home and one of them was like, you know, crooked. And, and I was getting so frustrated. Molly had to go upstairs. She's like, dad's mad. I got I to have to remove myself from the room. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, I just putting the thought of, of my life... It, it, if I can't even do that, the thought of my life being dependent upon my own capabilities in relationships, in, in the work here at the church, and in, in, the, in the other relationships that I have, if it were left to me, I would continue to just make an absolute mess of it. I need Jesus. I need to know that God is loving and that He's going to help me. I need to, to understand that he uh, not only forgives me of my sins, but He comes in to renew my heart and, and reconcile me to people and to things. And uh, 
it's a, it's a worldview that, that, that I am, have so embraced, and I hope you do too. We also see that this is a God-centered prayer. So even to the point where God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus, are all mentioned in this short little prayer. It's beautiful. God the Father is the sovereign Lord, right? The one who predestined his plan to take place, moving all the people and even nations into place in order to fulfill his redemptive will and purpose. And we, we could write books and books on, on that phrase uh, that uh, came when he says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Books and books, volumes are written on that, the will of God and things of that nature. He is God, the sovereign Lord. He is God, the Holy Spirit, who write, writes the scriptures through his prophets in the mouth of David, it says. And he is God, the Son, Jesus, our Savior, who is the healer, the sign maker, the wonder performer. And they will all work together in perfect unity. Right? Perfect unity to give the disciples the boldness and the courage to proclaim the name of Jesus and to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth, which is what they will go on to do. And according to the verses following this prayer, this is exactly what happened. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken... And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They continued to, to, to preach the name of Jesus. When they were told not to, they do it anyway. Did the religious leaders really think that their ta- scare tactics would actually work? No way. This is, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. This is his church that he has planted, that he is continuing to cause to grow and to spread. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the Lord answered their prayer. Because we know that prayer is powerful. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power. The Lord hears our prayers and He answers them according to His will. When we pray, God does things. He heals people. He takes our burdens. Prayer is powerful and it works. When things get tough for you, what is your first response? What's your first response? When things get tough. Is it to try and fix the situation or problem yourself? Probably if you're like me. When you're afraid, where do you, where do you go to run and hide? Is it to, you know, something that's not helpful for you um, in your personal health? Is it Netflix? Is it, you know, where do you go to run and hide when you get scared? The Lord wants us to run to Him, and He will be our hiding place, right? Go back to the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Psalm 32, 7 says, You are my hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. 
This is where God wants us to go to. He wants us to go to Him in prayer when things get difficult. I remember, um, many of you know, I used to work with Young Life, and I was at camp with some kids, um, and uh, this was a really long time ago. And, um, you know, you're, you, you've got this cabin full of guys, right, who are, and, and this particular cabin was just crazy wild people, crazy wild guys, high school guys. I believe Gary Huff was one of them. I'm not sure if he's here today. And a bunch of his friends. And um, they're just, uh, you know, we're, room full of bunks. They're, they're jumping from one bunk to the other like monkey, a gang of monkeys, you know. They're, they're just, things are going out of, completely out of control. I've lost all control of the room. I've got other counselors knocking on my door. Will you guys be quiet? We're trying to sleep. It's two in the morning, you know. It's just nuts. And this one kid, uh, they had they'd kicked one of the kids out of the room. I don't know why. And so this other kid had barricaded himself against the door so the other kid couldn't get in. But, he, but the other kids on the other side were banging, kicking and banging, like making as much noise, screaming as, much, as loud as he possibly can to get back in. I'm thinking, we're going to wake up the whole building. I'm going to get in so much trouble. And I have no control. I don't know what to do. And then I remembered, because our young life, my young life leader had told me, uh, we were reading these, these missionary books, right? And we'd read about Hudson Taylor. And the quote was, move men by God through prayer alone. And I remembered that. It came to my mind. I thought, I got nothing else. I got, and so I'm, uh, literally, I literally want to move this kid from the door back to his bed by prayer. Physically move him across the room. I'm like, Lord, move men by God through prayer. Move men by God through prayer. Like, I'm just praying. And he, he, he just suddenly stopped, barricading the door, got up, and walked away. I was like, it worked. That's crazy. Oh, my word. Like, it just, God wants us to, to come to him in prayer. He wants us to run to him, to hide uh, in him. And, you know, and I will admit that prayer is somewhat mysterious, okay? Especially when it comes to discerning how I feel God has or has not answered my prayers, okay? But I do know without a doubt that when I pray, I know that God hears me. I know that God cares about my struggles and difficulties. I know that God comforts me. I know that God protects me. And sometimes God answers my prayers with the resounding yes. But whether or not the answer is yes, no, or not now, God is on my side. And I am greatly encouraged. My faith is strengthened. My soul is calm. And my strength is restored. That's what I do know happens when I pray. Prayer is powerful. So don't stop praying for your wayward child that's grown cold toward you. Don't stop praying for God to help you in your frustrating job life. Don't stop praying that God would intervene in your marriage to renew your love between you and your spouse. 
to a depth of intimacy that you've never experienced before? Don't stop praying for your neighbor who doesn't know Christ and doesn't want to know Christ. Don't stop praying that your car would pass inspection. It was Molly's prayer this week. It did. Don't stop praying for God to bring you out of your addiction. Don't stop praying for your parents who are older and facing the final years or maybe the final months of their lives. Don't stop praying that God would turn your finances around. Don't stop praying that God would bring you out of the depression that you're suffering. Don't stop praying for God to relieve the anxiety that you're experiencing. Don't stop praying for God to reconcile you and a friend whom you've hurt or maybe you've been hurt by. Don't stop praying for boldness to tell your unbelieving friend about what God is doing in your life. Don't stop praying for God to calm your fears, whether they're physical, emotional, mental, irrational. Don't stop praying. I want to close, uh, you know, sometimes to close with a, some cool story of, you know, I want to close with a cool story just directly from the Scriptures, okay? Because it's exactly what happened after they prayed. And the fruit, so remember I said in the beginning, we're going to look at their prayer, and then we're going to look at the fruit of their prayer. Well, I want us to read this. This is Acts 4, 31 to 37. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Fruit of prayer, coming one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. This was their attitude towards their material possessions after their prayer. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So we see that... Hey, go back real quick. So great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The fruit of their prayer was boldness to speak about Christ. We are sent on mission to do just that. To a non-believing world and to the believing world. Your neighbor who doesn't know Christ needs Jesus. And your neighbor who knows Christ needs Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Okay, next one. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold... And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They, they met each other's needs. That was the fruit of their prayer. That's what God was doing. How beautiful is that? Prayer is powerful. 
We are sent on mission. The disciples were sent. We too are sent to make disciples. And I think the way we go about that is to rely on God by the power of prayer as we go. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shake us out of our complacency, out of our spiritual laziness, our satisfaction in ourselves and things that do not honor you. Lord, wake us up to your movement. Stir the dying hearts, the dying embers of our hearts to some to come aflame with passion for the lost, for purity, for repentance, for forgiveness. Give each one of us exactly what you feel we need at this moment. And we pray, Lord, we pray this prayer, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you will act and move to give us the courage and the boldness to be shaken out of those things, to rely upon you and you alone as we live this life that you've called us to. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.